Hey, it's Chris Freeland, and you're listening to the Doxology Bible Church Podcast. If you want to know more about who we are or learn to connect with us, please visit doxology.church. Most of all, we hope the following message will help you take the next step in your faith journey, whatever it is. In Scripture, it says that Stephen looked up to heaven and he saw God, and he saw Jesus standing next to his father, looking at him, which was confirmation that in this moment when Stephen is dying, he saw Jesus. And that was exactly what I needed to hear so that I could know that when whatever was happening to Molly, that she knew that he was with her. And that in an instant, from the moment she was alive to the moment she died, she was in the arms of Jesus. And and that's what I carried with me to help quiet the fears that would come up in my mind. She wasn't alone. He was with her in that moment, and she has been with him ever since that moment. Doxology Bible Church is proud to present EverStory, launching wherever you listen to podcasts on June 6th. EverStory is a weekly, seasonal podcast featuring Christ-centered stories of hope and transformation, told by people just like you. No chit-chat, just raw, powerful stories. Stories inspire us to connect with each other in real, tangible ways. With stories, we're able to glorify a God who relentlessly pursues us. Mark 16:15 tells us to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole of creation. Stories embody who we are as Christians. Without them, Paul's letters would have never been shared. Without stories, a person with Christ in their heart might never find the courage to bring the word to their neighbor. Without stories, the Great Commission never occurs. Check in with us often as we introduce stories about the way Jesus' radical love is moving in truly awesome ways. Find EverStory wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, follow Doxology Bible Church on Facebook or Instagram at Doxology Bible. Want to share your story or know someone who might? Send us an email to stories at doxology.church. Because everyone has a story. Hey, it's Chris Freeland, and you're listening to the Doxology Bible Church Podcast. If you want to know more about who we are or learn to connect with us, please visit doxology.church. Most of all, we hope the following message will help you take the next step in your faith journey, whatever it is. It's great to be back. Uh, Special thanks to Kurt Spartman for uh, riding saddle last week. If you were like us and away on vacation or visiting family uh, last week instead of uh, those that are away this week, uh, that's a sermon you really ought to check out. Uh, Get online at mckinneychurch.com or 
podcast or any number of things. If you want to hear it, uh, Kurt just knocked one out of the park last week as he unpacked part of the epistles and and, uh, talked about our role as the body of Christ. So make sure you check that out from last week. If you're our guest this week, uh, welcome. We are glad that you're here. You're hopping in in time to watch us cross the finish line on a monumental undertaking for our church. Uh, About five weeks ago, we challenged everybody who's a part of McKinney to, to take six days a week and read through the entire New Testament in 30 days. And a whole bunch of you took the challenge. And yesterday, you completed the race. And so uh, here's what I want to just do, whether you are a guest or you didn't take the challenge or you took the challenge and then you stopped the challenge, or if you completed the challenge, would all of you join in helping me celebrate those of us that made it the distance and completed New Through 30 yesterday? Yeah. Now, I'm going to forgive you for a really lame celebration there, okay? Um, This is a really, really big deal. Most of us have never read through the whole Bible. Most of us haven't even read through a significant chunk of Scripture at one time. And yet, as of yesterday, a whole bunch of people in this room have. And that's a huge deal. So congratulations to you if you made it across our heart as a church and even starting that challenge and throwing it out is that over a 30-day period, you and I would begin to develop some disciplines where this part, this could be a part of our everyday life, six days a week, seven days a week, five days a week, that we would be people who read our Bibles and know what God has to say. So hope you'll keep running even though you crossed the finish line uh, yesterday. And if you've been a part of it, you know what we've done on the Sundays after we've completed reading is we've tried to unpack what it was that we read in the weeks before. And if you've been a part of the journey, you know that yesterday what we read, or this past week what we read, was Matthew and Revelation. So we got some work to do this morning, all right? So let's get started. If you got a Bible, and I hope you brought one, turn to the last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation. That's where we're going to camp out today, and we're going to fly through it uh, this morning. But we're going to be in the book of Revelation. If you don't have a Bible, grab one around you. It looks just like this. You're going to want to follow along with us and turn to page 861 this morning so that you can follow along. And in fact, feel free to keep this. Just keep that Bible. Take it home with you. Uh, We would love for you to begin a discipline, even if you don't believe it of reading the Bible and seeing what it is that we believe the Bible says about God and who he is and what he's done for people just like you. So take it with you. It's, it's our gift. Uh, what we've said going all the way up to where we find ourselves today is this. The Old Testament reveals and the New Testament reveals that something's wrong with the world. We don't really need the Bible to tell us that. We see that on the news. We see it in our lives. But the Bible tells us that. What the Bible also tells us is, is why. There's brokenness in our world. There's brokenness in our relationships. Some of you experienced that over Thanksgiving with family, some brokenness in relationships. The Bible says that all of the brokenness in the world happens because of brokenness in a relationship that we have with our creator, the God who made us. And beginning really, really early in the Bible, God begins to promise that things won't always be the way that things are, that he's gonna make things right. And he promises he's gonna make things right by sending a king. But a king that's better than King Saul that you remember from the Old Testament, who was not just and not righteous. A a king even better than David, who's called a man after God's own heart, even though David struggled at times to, to have the people follow him because he wasn't always just and he wasn't always righteous. 
And David's son Solomon had the same problem. He wasn't always just. He wasn't always righteous. And the people didn't follow him. He couldn't make things right. And in fact, through the whole Bible, we find this theme. You and I can't make what's wrong with the world right on our own. But God promises God is going to send a king who will rule and reign over the world, over all of creation in righteousness and in justice. The people who rebel against God will finally be brought to justice. There won't be a day where we look at the news and we wonder why the good guy got thrown in jail or why the bad guy got let off the hook. That won't ever happen again. When we see politicians or we hear about politics and kingdoms, we won't have to roll our eyes because we assume that they're crooked. We assume that they're lying. We assume that they're on a power play. We won't have to do that because the king who will rule on the throne will rule in righteousness and in justice. Doesn't that sound incredible? Wouldn't you love to live in a world like that where we don't have to be suspicious when we watch the news? Where we don't have to wonder if we're going to be dealt with unjustly, if we're going to be taken in for something that we didn't do wrong, if we're going to be falsely accused, we will never have to worry about that again because the people who rebel against God will be brought into account and people who follow God will rejoice. Wouldn't you love to live in a world like that? Well, as you flip the page beginning of this week and read the Gospel of Matthew, what you find is a person that Matthew presents as the king that God's promised. A man named Jesus who comes onto the scene and as Matthew begins to trace his lineage, he shows us this is the king that God promised. He traces his lineage all the way back to the promised king who would follow on the throne of David, who would rule in the line of David that God had promised way back in in thousands of years earlier. But as Jesus begins to unfold what his kingdom will look like, we begin to realize something important. See, a kingdom where the king rules in righteousness and justice isn't necessarily good news for people like you and me. And as you began to read read in, in Matthew, you read one of Jesus' most famous sermons when he stands on a mountain and he begins to tell people what his kingdom is gonna look like. And he starts with some beatitudes. And even if you're not a Bible person, you've probably heard some of these, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. And we all read those. And all of us, whether you believe in Jesus or not, you read it and you think, that's good, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's true. Blessed are the meek, people who bring their power under control. That's good. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are people who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And we hear that and we say, yes, blessed are those people. But what Jesus wants us to hear in that sermon, one of his most famous sermons is is this, we aren't those people. And he wants us to look in our lives and say, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, wait a second. I spend most of my time not poor in spirit. I spend most of my time trying to figure out how to get myself noticed, how to get myself ahead. I'm not poor in spirit. I'm not meek. I look for ways that I can take what I have and what I've been given and the power that I have and leverage it over other people. I'm not a person who hungers and thirsts after righteousness. I'm a person who looks for shortcuts around righteousness so that I can get what I want without doing what I don't want to do. And that's why the climax of King Jesus' sermon on the mount is a passage where he says to everyone who's listening, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you're in a world of hurt when the king God's promised begins to rule on the throne. And the people who heard Jesus give that sermon would have gasped because there was nobody more righteous than the Pharisees. 
That would be like somebody coming to people like you and me and saying, now, unless your righteousness exceeds that of Mother Teresa, you don't have a hope when God begins to rule. Who is more righteous than Mother Teresa? And yet Jesus meant what he said. And as he set himself up as the king, he also revealed something else that the people hadn't ever realized. See, when they looked for a reigning king, when they learned and looked for a king who was righteous and just, they assumed that the problem with their world was those people out there. And Jesus began to remind them that the problem with our world isn't those people. It's this person. And that as the reigning king came to the earth, If we really wanted a righteous king who would lay down the law, before that can be comforting, we have to be righteous people. And what Jesus revealed about himself is that he came to do that too. To do something that only he could provide because of who he is. And the book of Revelation unpacks that message. See, the book of Matthew and the book of Revelation have a whole lot in common because they both point to the same problem and they both point to the same solution. But let's be honest. Right? When you get to the book of Revelation, there are a whole lot of us that just skip it. We just go to the end because it really freaks us out. Is that true? And and really for good reason, right? Because you start to read and you see angels holding stars in their hands. And that's a little bit creepy. But that's not the creepiest part. Because you keep reading and you see locusts that have faces. And and you see baby-eating dragons and beasts that come out of the sea and rainbows and streets of gold and locusts and plagues and darkness and the moon turns to blood. And we think, this is creepy. Like, this doesn't even connect. This doesn't seem to fit. And we begin to look at the specifics and the details and they freak us out because we miss the point. See, when the book of Revelation starts, it tells us something that most of us, when we talk about it, get wrong. See, it's not Revelations. And don't we do that? Don't we talk about the book and say, well, we read Revelations today as if it's plural, lots of Revelations. But it's not. The book at the very beginning says this is one revelation. And it's a revelation of a person. See, the point of the book of Revelation isn't just for us to sit around and navel gaze about whether or not the locusts with faces are helicopters. It's not for us to look around the political landscape and try to figure out who could be the Antichrist. Those are important discussions, but only important discussions after we know the point. And when you look at those specifics, when you look at the details in light of the point, the book of Revelation becomes a lot less scary and a lot less daunting for people like us to read. See, the point of Revelation isn't just to figure out the details. It's to reveal who Jesus is. But it does get confusing sometimes. Because John gets a revelation of something, of a picture that he doesn't have categories for. He's trying to explain things in human language that no human has ever had to explain before. 
And he sums up all of Scripture. So sometimes it's tough when we just jump to the book of Revelation without knowing the rest of the story to see what he's saying, to understand the pictures, or for our faith to be increased. And yet that's the point of the book. Not just to reveal the Antichrist, to reveal Jesus and to increase our faith in Jesus. So today I want us to look, to take a flying look at the book of Revelation, but to see the big three things that the book of Revelation reveals about Jesus as we look towards the future. If you're there, let me give you the landscape as we run through the book of Revelation, okay? The first three chapters introduce the purpose of the book, and it introduces us to Jesus. And let me just tell you, if you didn't read Revelation chapter 1, it is not pasty, white, effeminate Jesus that you learned about in stained glass growing up. In fact, look at what it says about Jesus, Revelation chapter 1, beginning in verse 14. Here's how it describes the Jesus that's revealed. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, John records, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. You see this immense symbolic language, but it reveals a person of majesty, a person of power, a person of wisdom, a person of radiant glory. And yet Jesus says, as John falls on his feet, as if he's dead, you don't have to be afraid. Which is a really nice thing for him to tell us, isn't it? And to tell John, especially given what John's just seen, and especially with what we know is coming throughout the rest of the book, and yet these words, don't be afraid, show up for people like you and me who are afraid every time we read the book of Revelation all throughout the book. Because the theme of the book isn't fear, the theme of the book is a person who is the first and the last, the beginning and the end, who has conquered everything we have to be afraid of. If we miss him, There's fear. But if we see what Revelation reveals, we don't have to be afraid. The rest of the book tells us why. Because it reveals who Jesus is. The next several chapters, we see the scene on earth as the world rates for a reigning king. We see churches that Jesus speaks to and he tells them how they ought to live as they anticipate his coming. And we'll come back to those letters someday because they're poignant messages for churches just like us as we live in light of a wait for the upcoming king. And then you see in chapter four, a scene in heaven. You see the throne room of God and it's a picture that you can't miss the imagery. You see a throne and a king that the people have been waiting for for all of human history. 
And it's a scene where God is the center of the picture. Everything, every creature points to him, just like creation was always intended to be. Then you look at chapter 5 and see the one sitting on the throne has a scroll. And we find out that the scroll that he holds contains righteous judgment to be meted out on the earth. And it's top secret. It's sealed with seven different seals. And only the person with the highest authority, only the person with the ability to judge justly and righteously can open the seals. And all of the creatures surrounding the throne of God begin to weep and lament because none of them are able to open the seals. None of them has the highest authority. None of them can be the judge. In fact, chapter 5, verse 3 says, No one on heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. There is no creature who has ever lived that has the clearance to execute perfect judgment on the world. And we know this, don't we? I mean, we remind ourselves, we remind others of this all the time. It's another familiar verse from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's the most famous verse in the Bible. Judge not, lest... Because all of us know that we're imperfect judges. I can't judge your world. You can't judge my world because I don't see everything. I don't know everything. I don't have perspective over everything. I don't have the power to bring judgment in the world. I don't have the clearance to bring righteous judgment on the earth. And John sees that and he knows that the whole world is perilously perilously close to being unable to be judged perfectly and righteously. And so he begins to weep. And yet one of the elders comes to him and says in verse 5, one of the elders says to John, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Now you gotta know just a tiny bit about the Old Testament to know this is a person that God has promised to the nations throughout time, the lion. When you see a lion, you think of judgment, don't you? You see of power, you see of glory, you see majesty. God's promised that a lion would come from the tribe of Judah. He promised a king who would rule on the throne of David. And what we find in the book of Revelation is that the lion has come. That the, the ruler from the root of David has come and he is able to judge like a lion. He's able to rule as a king. But that's not all. You see in verse 6, John looks and sees the person that the elder is talking about. He says, I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Now, there's a whole lot of metaphor here, but every single piece of it's important. Hang with me for just a second. When any person in the first century read that he saw a lamb, their mind would have instantly gone back to the Jewish sacrificial system where every day, day after day, 
Week after week, year after year, people would have to offer a lamb to take the judgment of their sins, to cover over their sins before God so that God wouldn't destroy them instead. And yet, unlike the millions and millions of lambs who had been slaughtered on behalf of the people, this lamb isn't dead. It's standing. And did you notice where the lamb is standing? The lamb is standing on the throne. And all of the worship of heaven revolves around the lamb who is standing very much alive on the throne where judgment will be meted out. There's someone on the throne who's able to judge the world. He rules on the throne. And we see something about him, this powerful uh, imagery. In the Bible, from the very beginning, the number seven refers to perfection or completion. The earth was created and complete in seven days. And we see that this lamb standing on the throne has seven horns. When you think of horns, you think of power, don't you? The power to reign. And what we see is the lamb that's standing on the throne has the power, perfect, complete power to reign We see that he has seven eyes, perfect and complete ability to see the wisdom to judge. And we find out that the lamb that's standing on the throne who's able to judge the world, he rules on the throne, but you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to weep because he's the lamb that triumphed over death and everything you have to be afraid of. In just this passage, we see three things about Jesus that, in fact, the rest of the book of Revelation is going to continue to unpack. We see three things about who Jesus is that can give us confidence to read the book of Revelation without fear and to live into the future with hope. Three things that we see, and then we'll unpack the rest of Revelation where we see all of this show up. So if you're taking notes, you can write these three things down. What we find in Revelation, as Revelation reveals who Jesus is, we find that Jesus is the righteous judge. We find that Jesus is the reigning king. And we find that Jesus is the risen lamb. Jesus is the righteous judge. He's the reigning king. And he's the risen lamb. Now let me walk you through the rest of the book of Revelation and show you how we see this fleshed out throughout the rest of human history. Starting in chapter 6, Jesus reveals himself as the righteous judge. As he begins to peel back the seals on the scroll. And you see, you can just picture this scroll that is rolled up and it's sealed with seven seals. And as Jesus peels back the first one, heaven and earth collide and suddenly judgment comes to the earth. Heavenly, divine, righteous judgment comes to the earth and we see him peel back the next seal and the next seal and the next seal and judgment comes to the earth. And what we find is a terrifying reality as the earth and the creation that's broken, that's rebelled against God, finally gets the righteous judgment that it deserves. And it's a horrific scene because essentially what the judge allows to happen is to allow a broken world full of broken people to experience the full effect of what happens when God takes away his restraining power. And creation rebels against itself. 
because God removes his protective power. And so from chapters 8 through 18, you see judgment after judgment on a world that is broken as a righteous judge in heaven executes judgment that the world deserves, and it's terrifying. And then in chapter 19, heaven begins to move towards earth. The righteous judge moves towards earth as the reigning king. And Revelation chapter 19 says that the whole world sees him, and as the whole world sees him, they see who he is. He's the king over every king. He's the Lord over every Lord, and he sets up a kingdom that lasts for a thousand years. What he shows us as he rules and reigns in righteousness and justice as the righteous king and the righteous judge he shows us that God didn't just give up on creation. That the solution to the world's problems isn't what you and I used to do when we played video games as kids and we figured out that we had a problem that we couldn't make right so we accidentally hit the reset button. God didn't have to do that. God is perfectly capable of taking what is broken and fixing it and he shows us for a thousand years as God's enemies are restrained, as righteousness is served, as justice is given and as Jesus rules on the throne for a thousand years on the earth and at the end of the thousand years all of God's enemies are separated from God forever and ever. They're separated from the creation that God has given forever and ever and lawbreakers are separated from God forever. As God creates a restored creation. A creation that's not broken. A creation where relationships aren't severed with each other. A creation where the creation doesn't fail, where sickness and disease and death and dying are no longer a part of the reality. And where there's no distance between us and him, we see him as he is. He sees us as we are. We walk with him. We see him. He stands in the center of the city to light its way. But Revelation chapter 22 tells us that there's a city where what started was a garden. And yet in the middle of the city is a reminder. In the middle of the city is a reminder for all of us because in the middle of the city God places a garden with a tree the tree of life in fact look at Revelation chapter 22 beginning in verse 12 Revelation chapter 22 beginning in verse 12 Jesus says look I'm coming soon my reward is with me I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. We see another beatitude, don't we? But this time, it's not just blessed are those who are poor in spirit, because we're not that. It's not just blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because we're not that. It's not just blessed are the meek, blessed are the humble, because we're not those things. At the end of the story, what Jesus promises is blessed are the clean. They'll be able to have life. 
they'll walk into the city. Which should raise a question for every single one of us. How is that possible? See, if the righteous judge comes, who sees everything that I've done, who knows everything that I've said, I don't stand a chance. Neither do you. We deserve to be judged by the judge. We deserve to be subdued by the king. The only way it's possible for us to have a hope of entering that city is for the risen lamb to have taken our judgment and to make us clean. If the righteous judge and the reigning king is the risen lamb. And that's what Revelation reveals. See, the lamb in the Old Testament took on itself what God's people deserved. It took the judgment of the people. What Revelation tells us is that there's a way to be absolutely certain that you don't have to be afraid as you look into the future. To be absolutely certain that you don't have to expect judgment in the future. As you anticipate the return of the righteous judge, the reigning king, who will make things right. See, there's a way to be absolutely certain that the righteous judge and the reigning king will be for you. And that's to know that the righteous judge and the reigning king has taken your judgment as the risen lamb. Bottom line question, it's important for all of us, wherever you're at spiritually, that John wants us to ask is this. Does my life today reflect that God has a plan for the future? Does my life today reflect that God has a plan for the future? Jesus says, look, I'm coming soon. Does your life reflect that? There's a day that's coming where the God who created the world will judge the world justly, according not to our standard of good, but to his. Some of us like that idea. Because some of us have been defrauded in our life. We've been hurt, we've been wounded, we've been betrayed by unjust people and an unjust system. And we can't wait for Jesus to come as the righteous judge and the reigning king. But it's also true that a lot of us see ourselves just like the Pharisees saw themselves. We want justice and judgment for everybody else. Grace for ourselves. What Revelation promises is that the righteous judge, the reigning king, has made it possible for you to be clean before him, for you to experience the grace that you want for yourself even in light of an impossible standard because the lamb took your judgment for you. He took every bit of that anger that you deserved from God. Every bit of judgment, every bit of terror and horror that you deserved from the God who created you. Every bit of the judgment and willingly put it on his shoulders so that when judgment comes on the world, You don't have to be there for it. 
because somebody already took your judgment on them. Friends, if you haven't ever connected with Jesus, he's not just the pasty, white, effeminate Jesus that you imagined Christians believed in. He's a righteous judge who rules according to a righteous, perfect standard, who will rule over all of the earth and subdue his enemy, but you don't have to be afraid because he wants to be your risen lamb. And when he came to the earth, he took your judgment on him, every bit of judgment that you deserved. As he faced down your greatest enemy, the enemy of death, and he rose from the dead. And he offers you a gift. And in fact, the invitation at the end of the book is for all of us. Revelation chapter 22, beginning in verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Some of you look at your world and you're thirsty. You're thirsty for answers, you're thirsty for a solution. Jesus says, come. You say, I don't, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know the things that I've said. You don't know the things that I've thought. You don't know about my past. You don't know about my baggage. You don't know where I've been. You're right. I don't. But the righteous judge does. The reigning king does. And he says, Come. If you want it, life can be yours. And you don't have to be afraid. Friend, if you've never taken life from Jesus, there is no other way to stand before a righteous judge than for him to have paid your penalty for you. And if that is your story, you have never accepted life, it's free. You can accept it right now, right where you sit. It's as simple as telling God, I'll take the gift. I believe that Jesus took my judgment and gives me life, and I'll take it. I'm trusting the risen lamb. If you've never connected with Christ, I'd love to celebrate that with you if that's something that you're doing today because all of a sudden you've got hope. We don't want to try to make you religious. We don't want to try to give you rituals to follow. It's not about you making things right or making your life right on your own. It's about trusting a savior for a gift. And if you'd like to walk with somebody through that, we would love to walk with you. We'd love to celebrate with you. There's a place on your connection card where you can tell us that's what's happened to you today, that you took a gift that Jesus offered. At the end of the service, our elders and their wives are up here. They would love to celebrate with you. They'd love to pray with you. We've got a gift bag full of resources that you can have to understand the immensity of what Jesus did when he took your judgment on himself and what he gave you in return. We'd love to celebrate with you. Would you take that step? 
Let us know on the back of that connection card. I'm connecting with Christ for the first time today. I'm taking the gift. Does your life today reflect that God has a plan for the future as a judge, as a king? And can you walk forward with that with hope because of the risen lamb? I hope you'll connect with Christ today if you haven't already. Some of us have already connected with Christ. And yet if we look at our life, what we would say is our life today reflects that our focus is on today, not on a God who has a plan for the future. The way we spend our time, the way we spend our money, the way we do relationship, the way we harbor bitterness, the way we harbor resentment, the way we continue to live in sin reflects a focus on today, not on then. But we, of all people, should be able to walk differently with hope, with optimism, with determination, with urgency, because the righteous judge is coming soon. The reigning king will rule soon. And we have hope because he's our risen lamb. Isn't that incredible? Here's what it means, friends. It means that you don't have to walk another day forward in the hopelessness that you've been walking in because there's a reigning king who will make things right. You don't have to walk in despair. You don't have to look at our world and our political system and wonder if there's gonna be hope for your kids or your grandkids or for their grandkids because you know with certainty that there's a reigning king who is coming who will rule righteously and justly. It means you don't have to walk anymore with bitterness and anger because of the person that defrauded you in your past and took something from you that you can't ever get back. You don't have to walk with bitterness anymore because there's a righteous judge who will rule and reign justly and justice will be served and you can walk instead with grace and with love and with hope and with urgency because you know the risen lamb. And only that hope can close the story. Only that truth can close the book for people like us. Because the righteous judge and the reigning king is for us. To the point that he died for us and beat our greatest enemy, rose from the dead to give us life and hope. And friends, that's why here in just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. And we're going to sing a song that Revelation tells us is echoing through heaven even as we speak. Maybe not the tune, but certainly the words. And we're going to stand as broken people in broken relationships and in a broken world, and we're going to sing at the top of our lungs. And you know why? Because we know that we're not always going to be broken people with broken relationships in a broken world because worthy is the lamb who is slain for us and the righteous judge is coming with hope. The reigning king is coming with hope because the lamb rose from the dead for people like you and me. Thanks for listening to the Doxology Bible Church podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. If you're ever in the Fort Worth area, we'd love to worship with you in person at one of our services. For more information on service times and location, visit doxology.church.